Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. I sort of really love our new opening, which used to be we okay. would try to make up something funny. All right. But now it's start, 80s nostalgia. It 80s right. nostalgia, which just brings you back to such a happier time before we talk about the demise of the country right before our very eyes. So, <laughs> on this date, 1984, the movie Ghostbusters was released in theaters. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That was such a big movie at the time. I mean, it was like all the rage. I so, no I was taking... I was taking driver's ed in 1984 and I had this Indian guy named Zaf and he, you can only imagine how he tormented the poor man. He was very sweet, but he loved the song Ghostbusters. So it would come on the radio and he'd be like, Ghostbusters. And we would all laugh. And so funny. Whenever I think of Ghostbusters, I in think school, of Zaff, did you d- Did you drive in a car in school? Like, we had a fake car. We had a simulator. Did you actually go in a car with your driver's ed teacher with a radio? Well, yeah. First of all, I grew up in Naperville. And second of all, I took private driver's ed. Wasn't at my high school. So I had. um, Wait, you had a fake fake car. Well, you must be a terrible driver. No. First of all, let me finish. Because first, in driver's ed. My driver's ed teacher, Mr. Mathis, shout out to that man, also was the basketball coach at my school. And then we had like a fake, fake driver. It was just so hokey. And then my parents hired someone to teach me to drive because there was going to be, it it wasn't tenable for them to teach me to drive. It was getting very hostile, um, more than a normal parent-teenager relationship. So they hired some poor man to paint and paid him to have me drive but then you know like any gen xer immediate as soon as i could possibly get a license i got one i'm sure the same was for you and oh, yeah. uh, off we went so let's start even though this is a super slow news week and nothing's happening in this country that would raise eyebrows or suspicion we have a special guest a very special guest probably one of our favorite guests julie do you want to introduce our guest Sorry, I'm eating. Yes, our favorite guest, author of The Permanent Coup and How Right He Was, Our Coup Continues, our friend and mentor in many ways, um, Lee Smith. Hi, Lee. Hi, guys. I I really like I really wanted to join in the conversation of the 80s. I'm probably so I thought you were going to introduce me as Alf or something like that. Some some. TV. Lee, do you want to share your driver's ed stories? Um, yeah, I will, because, you know, I, I learned how to drive in high school and um, and and then I've, I've lived in cities for the last, I don't know, for the last 35 years. I lived in New York. I lived in Washington. I lived in Beirut. I lived in Cairo. And basically, I'd not driven a car for about 40 years until we moved down south here to Carolina. Um, so Where'd you grow up, Lee? In New York City. So there was oh, no yeah, so you don't want to drive there. No, definitely not. And in Washington, it wasn't fun either. So, I mean, I, I, I really, I like the road movie vibe, and I like the vibe, and I'm getting used to it again. But at first, having to get behind a wheel was just kind of a hassle. But the drivers in South Carolina, I think, and if, if you have lots of South Carolina listeners, they're going to complain and they'll be split. Half of them will go, yeah, the problem is with all these Yankees coming down from New Jersey and Connecticut. <laughs> they're terrible drivers. And the northerners who are down here say, no, it's all the South Carolina drivers. These guys drive on farms, and that's what they think the interstate's like. But I found everyone very polite and very nice, and the traffic's not too bad. And we are very happy to be in South Carolina, not just because of um, driving, but because it's uh, it's a great part of the country. And uh, right now, as we speak, um, Joe Biden is visiting uh, not too far from here. That's right. He's at the beach. Yeah, Kiowa Island. And we've got not a lot of protesters causing a lot of trouble, but we've got a pretty pretty serious anti-regime 
um, movement here. Uh, so it, it's a it's a great place, great people, and um, they they are aware of what's happening in the rest of the country. Of course, they're not goons, just like the people who live in Washington. This is all they live and breathe, but they're aware and they're concerned. Nonetheless, though, because they are away from Washington, they are optimistic. They love this country, and 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 they don't believe that anything is going to hurt. The fundamental, um, anything is going to fundamentally uh, rearrange the way that this country was built and designed by our founding fathers. They are, they, they, as you guys do, we realize that our great ancestors are looking upon us from the beyond. And everything that happens now will be talked about for generations to come by our children's children and their children and their grandchildren. And so we live in um, important historic times. And I think it's great to be around people who recognize um, who recognize the seriousness of what's happening now. How's that? You That's always excellent. set up such a great framework and it's always so optimistic. And sometimes I want to slap you because. Yeah, Julie and I are not as optimistic. Like snap out of it, Lee. Don't, I know. <laughs> no, but but I love your cheerfulness about this. I know you're always saying, you know, be happy warriors. Um, and it just well, gets like a little bit harder. Pretty, harder. Actually, you know what? I'm not a fan of that phrase because it, it does come from the 80s. It comes from Ronald Reagan. And I think Ronald Reagan is fine, but I'm not someone who's like, oh, right? Because I mean, this is who the neoconservatives are. It's like, oh, everything ended when Ronald Reagan left office. Everything has gone downhill. Ronald Reagan was the last great man that America was capable of producing. Like, no, he wasn't. We've had we've had heroes and champions all throughout our history, and we have heroes and champions today. And Julie, you've You've written about them and their families, the people, just regular, ordinary Americans who wanted to exercise their First Amendment rights. And look at that. I, mean, I, I, I heard someone saying the other day, a friend who was saying um, who was saying after the raid on Mar-a-Lago, who was saying, like, you know, it it really it, what kills me is that there's not going to be a million man march on the FBI building in Washington. I'm like, wait a minute. There, there was a very a profound protest on January 6th. And these 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 uh, men and women were ex the Americans exercising their First Amendment rights, and look at what's happened to them. And Julie Kelly's written about them, and 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 these boys still sing the national anthem at night. They they love this country. They believe in this country. So that's what I'm. You know, it's it's not about being a happy warrior. First of all, it's partly about well, what's our choice? We're not going to roll over. It's our country. Where are we going to go? Right. I mean, uh, Switzerland. No, this is our country. And um, and and um, fighting is a good thing. We're, we're again, I really do believe that we're blessed to live in this meaningful time. You know, it, it's a meaningful time. And to be engaged in something and in, in a ah. in a struggle as meaningful as this for our country. Oh, no, I, 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 I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired, Julie, by the guys you write about. I mean, these are these are amazing yeah. people, amazing people. I don't know who in their right mind would come and protest in D.C. if you are uh, protesting the regime. So, I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know after what we've watched. And I think that that's um, a, an intentional consequence of the way that the January 6th um, fiasco has been carried out is intentionally to frighten people from speaking out and dissuading them from exercising their constitutional right to air their dissent with the government. Right. I, I think it's another way in which the regime has shot itself in the, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to go blue because I know this is a family show, even though you guys. No, no it that. isn't. You can say. No, it, it's really not. We, we oh. tell children <laughs> stay away from our podcast. Yeah, yeah this isn't a kid's show. Yeah, they shot themselves. They shot themselves in the ass, right? Because yeah, you can't come to Washington. You can't protest here, or we'll arrest you. And you know, you'll arrest you. We'll arrest you. You're in big trouble. How dare you? How dare you come and you march in in what you call our nation's capital? It's our it's our thing. Leave it alone. So you know, okay, then that's fine. It's the same thing when you tell people, you know, your votes don't matter. 
you can you can say whatever you want. You can vote for whoever you like. But finally, we're going to decide who, who we're finally going to decide who who governs this country. And as it turns out, guess what? It's us. Look, because people are talking about you can tell with the and I'm speak I'm speaking too much and it's your guys' show, but I'm just going to mouth off for about another minute more here. You can you can tell when people are saying on TV, even on you know relatively moderate. Uh, venues like Fox News, when people keep saying, uh, well, we're not talking about fighting, fighting. We're not we're talking about voting. We're talking about this or that. You, you can just tell that people are seething, right? People are seething and they're enraged. And so when people talk about like, oh, gee, you know, I mean, we really don't want armed conflict because anyone who's seen what that looks like in a country, it's terrible. But to come back to Washington, the problem is by cutting off Washington like that to outsiders to protest, you've basically cordoned yourself off. And we saw what happened with the Canadian protesters and some American truck drivers drove them and they showed up on the they showed up on the beltway and they were quickly moved aside by a whole bunch of um, policemen. Right. Um, but, you know, if push comes to shove, that's something that happens. The beltway gets shut down and Washington doesn't eat until truck drivers to say decide that, OK, now Washington gets to eat. And you know what? They don't even have to shut it down. They don't even have to encircle it. They can just say no deliveries, nothing and nothing comes in. That's the problem when you decide to cut yourself off from the rest of the country. The rest of the country may very well help you cut yourself off from everything you depend on to live. So as I say, these people have shot themselves in the ass again and again and again. And this is one this is this is another way they've done it. So Lee, do you think that these folks are so out of touch with the average person that they did not predict this? Or do you think that this was people that were are basically smearing our face and shit? saying like look what we can do and there's nothing you can do about it or maybe it's both which what what are your thoughts yeah i think it's i think it's uh, I, I don't think there's exactly a split there are lots of people on both sides i thought the andrew cuomo tweet a couple of days ago was very interesting when he said the doj better show what they have right away you know someone was saying well because cuomo is fighting the same guys if he wants to get back into politics like andrew cuomo is not getting back into politics that's not what it is andrew cuomo is a savvy enough guy that he knows if this thing starts to break his head's going to roll right for what he did during what he did during the covid19 lockdowns he's going to be one of the first ones who's going to go to jail for the rest of his life right so the the people who understand who understand what it looks like to open up um, what it looks like to open up this problem are going to be very worried. There are other people, though, who are just drunk on power. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to rub their face in it and we're going to continue to do it. And in fact, this isn't even the real thing. We're just getting them acclimated to it. We're going to arrest Donald Trump. We're going to put him in handcuffs, just like we did with, uh, you know, with Peter Navarro, uh, and we're going to frog march him on CNN. And it's going to be 530 in the morning and the Secret Service is going to step aside and it's going to be the most glorious moment in American history since, um, you know, since uh, since the New York Times published the 1619 Project. It's just so exciting and wonderful. Yeah, there are a lot of very, very dangerous and reckless people over there. There are other people, though, who understand um, people who do leave. Um, who do leave their uh, um, residences in Washington, D.C. and New York City and Los Angeles, and they they understand the very considerable dangers of, 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 of the way this is moving. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see the Cuomo tweet. I think there was a couple other people that surprised me, too, uh, that came out and um, were sp- spoke out rather harshly about this i think people were surprised i don't were you surprised lee um well no julie and i you know spoke about this several months ago and and as we started talking about it and putting it together it's a horrifying idea you know um and that's what we we talked about the actual you know uh, arrest 
we talked about the the possible response and the response that they were they are they are certainly looking to elicit, which is violence. Um, so they can crack down harder and harder and say, see, we told you they were insurrectionists. So, no, I, I th- has this conceptually. I wasn't surprised at all. I expected it because this is what's been going on since Russiagate. Right. Operation after operation. Nonetheless, when it happens, it's just it's just another data point and shocking things that have happened over the last over the last six years. So, no, I wasn't sh- surprised. And yes, nonetheless, I was still shocked. Who who would think this, right? I mean, you know, if we lived in Argentina, it wouldn't be surprising. If we lived in Lebanon, it wouldn't be surprising. But we're not accustomed to thinking that this can happen in the United States. So, yeah, in that way, I was still shocked. So what do you think that, um, I mean, do you take anything that the feds have said at face value? Do you think that what that this was just a question of papers that should have been turned over that weren't turned over? Do you think that they were fishing to get anything they could, you know, like Carter Page, FISA, just to see if they could get something from someone else? Do you think they were, I've seen, heard all kinds of things. Were they planting evidence? Were they bugging his office? What, what do you, th- what do you think was the real moat? You know what was re- the real impetus for this? Well, I'm going to answer by phrase by phrasing it as a question for Julie, because again, I feel first of all I've been mathing off too much, but I, but I, I, I Julie's um, Julie's reporting on January 6th and Julie's analysis of the cases on January 6th has really shaped my thinking on this. So what do I think? I think that they're looking for for more. Uh, I think they're looking for whatever they can find on January 6th because that's the charge they want to bring. That's the char- the obstruction case is the case they wanted to bring against Trump with uh, with the with the Mueller uh, the Mueller prosecution, and that's what it was. It was supposed to be a prosecution, and this is what they're the charging a lot of the January 6th defendants with obstruction. And look, the, the whole the whole thing about classified and 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 you know classified information. No, that was a pretext. It's a fishing expedition, right? The 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 char that the charge that really reinforces core regime interest is January 6th, right? That's their thing. They have to they have to they have to draw lines around January 6th. Like, how dare you oppose Joe Biden? How dare you oppose the man the regime has chosen to lead this country or to be the outward face? Uh, the demented face of this demented regime. So I think that's uh, it seems pretty clear to me that that's what they wanted to do. And the classified information thing, it's 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 you know it's it's a it's a red herring for a fishing expedition. How's that? And also, here's the why I also think charges are inevitable. The Democrats and the regime and the media are have they keep ratcheting up expectations that Donald Trump is going to end up in handcuffs. And this was part of the optics of Monday night, whether they want to pretend that Trump is the one who blew the whistle or not. They knew that he was going to tell everyone that happened. They organized it. They executed it. But this is part of creating optics to justify um, when they do announce charges. And if they don't, and if it's only, oh, he violated the Presidential Records Act because he had this one piece of paper, like that is not going to be enough for this rabid bloodthirsty base. So to your point, Lee, and what I've speculated is that they're trying to find any document that they can say is outside of the court order to produce all of his documents from April 2020, really through past January 6th. This was the court order. Um, Donald Trump was supposed to produce all of that to the National Archives, who would then go through it and give it to the January 6th committee. Liz Cheney's already hinted numerous times that they want to bring tampering with evidence charges against or criminal referral against Trump. So I think you've got two different things happening now. We already know that Trump is under investigation by the DOJ. We know Pat Cipollone and Mark Short, Mike Pence's chief of staff, have gone before the grand jury. This is where all of this is headed there. The January 6th committee has to come up with some sort of criminal referral, right? They're not just going to release a report, hide their thousand transcripts at DOJ and just be like, okay, we're done. So they can come forward with a tampering with evidence 
criminal referral that sort of justifies what they've been doing. So you could have now three or four charges against Donald Trump. Um, but I, I highly doubt this is just looking for some piece of classified, uh, you know, some record that's supposed to be classified and they're right. going to charge him with violating PRA. Like that's not, I feel very strongly that's not what this is about. But Julie, this, at the same I mean, this is red meat for their base that they've been agitating for six years, right, about the walls are closing in on Trump. This has been going on for six years. But at the same time, they're pushing people away, people who would rather Trump not run and prefer another candidate now are angry and prepared to support Trump, not to mention just other people who aren't, um, you know, explicitly political, but are repulsed by this, you know, extreme show of force. So it's kind of a trade-off. However, I will just add this, this caveat. I do think that, that unless the election system is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> really secure, they, they might not, it might not matter that they're alienating a lot of, a lot more people than they, they, than, than normal, let's say. What, what are your thoughts? Are you, I, me, Julie, or you? Or, or Julie, both of you. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think that this is not a, this is not a political faction that's going to go. You know, as it turns out, the American people didn't like our policies. It's time to go back to the drawing board, and re, and figure this out because we're going to lose in 2022, and it's a shame. You know, because it was really nice uh, controlling the house, but we're going to we're going to lose. So I don't know. We just I guess probably we need to mo moderate a little bit. And um, yeah, that that's not what this faction is going to do. Right. This faction is not going to roll over and say we lost 2022. There's definitely something in the works. And I certainly think that the that the indictment of Donald Trump is part of it. I would imagine there's all sorts of election shenanigans as well. And 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 also I've, I've been saying this for for I mean I, I mean I've been saying this for a while. I, since the COVID lockdowns, I've been expecting they were going to move to climate lockdown. So I imagine that that might still be in the works as well. Well, right. Really, I mean, oh, truly, go on. I'm sorry. No, I agree with Lee, and he and I have talked about this. And I mean, I think Lee, you were the one who brought it up in our conversation that, you know, the left is going to try to <clears throat> create chaos before this election. They are not right to Lee's point. They're not just going to be like, oh well, we're, we'll lose this, but you know, maybe we'll find some bipartisan ways to work together. Like, yeah. no, they are going to do whatever it takes. This is why they're now confiscated the phone of Scott Perry, the head of the House Freedom Caucus. They have now subpoenaed. Um, Pennsylvania lawmakers. Um, this is total retaliation. It is a fear campaign <clears throat> crusade to crush political dissent, to intimidate people out of voting Republican in November that then some somehow you're participating in some kind of domestic terror operation if you do. Um, and this is this is going I keep saying this is going to get much worse. I mean, as bad as the raid sounds, um, when they finally do arrest Trump and who knows who else in his orbit that they will arrest and charge. Um, I mean, it, it's going to get very ugly. I mean, you, we can see what happened this uh, what happened at Mar-a-Lago. We can see it as sort of a test run. Right. It's not just acclimating people. It's not just acclimating, acclimating the, the entire country to what is likely to happen. And it whets the appetite of their base. It also uh, angers and galvanizes Trump's base. Um, but the other way to see it is like they gathered intelligence from it, right? They saw how they saw how their opposition responded, and so now they're gonna now they will be prepared um, when you know if they indict Trump, they'll see what they need to shut down, how they need to respond, how they're going to handle this. So that's another way to see what happened here. It's a way to collect intelligence on, the, on for their next move. Look, that said, I, I don't think that these people are entirely that coherent. And when we've been talking about they're, they're creating chaos, one of the things that I realized just the other day is 
they've instilled this sense in other people, this chaos in other people, right? And they, they've made us all feel that, you know, that we're, 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 we're moving around, we're, we're, we're tightrope walking without a safety net. But then I started to, re- you see these people on Twitter, um, and, and of course, it's mostly women. You see these people on Twitter and they talk about their problems with COVID-19 or they're this or they're that and their rage and their fury. And I'm like, you know what? It, it, it's it's not that they're creating something outside of themselves. They're projecting their own chaos onto our public sphere. And this is what I've met when I've said about Hillary Clinton, that we've been living inside the the, the brain. The, the We've had to live in, in the emotional nerve center of a twisted, angry harridan for at least the last six years, maybe longer. This is how they live. And right. so this is one of the reasons when I when I say like, look, we again, it's not just about being a happy warrior. It's like, hey, we have to we have to live our own lives and we have to live it in our way. Our families, our communities, the work we do, we have to keep moving on straight because if we try to adjust to these people, that's death because these are the walking dead. These are zombies. These are very sick people. And we saw that when COVID first hit. Right. The people who are on the streets. Right. George Floyd riots. These are criminals. These were psychopaths. Look at what happened. Look, George Floyd, a felon, was sanctified during COVID-19. That tells you who these people are. They're very, very sick, deranged people. So these serial operations from Russiagate to Kavanaugh to impeachment um, to COVID lockdowns, to George Floyd riots, to uh, 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 fraudulent elections, to January 6th responses. That's their life, right? It's not so much that they're plotting all this out. It's like, this is the chaos in which these people live. It's how they thrive. And the more and more chaos there is, it's better because that's how they're used to living. So we have to while trying to find a way to manage their chaos, we also have to go on and lead our own um, relatively wholesome and coherent and cogent lives, or because that's starting to eat at us right now. And this uh, this uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago is part of it. It's part of the campaign of demoralization and desecration. But it's not like these people are standing above it and they're saying all the time, like, ah, this will really hurt them. It's like, they're they're just sick people and whatever gross stuff they can come up with that's what they'll employ all right so lee let's pretend or imagine that in the fall the republicans take the house now everybody's like oh it's going to be a red wave and it's going to be brutal and the democrats are scared and eh. traditionally yes the republic you know the different the party out of power takes back seats or gains control in off years of elections. You know, all right, let's so let's let's go with that. What do you think that a Republican controlled Congress and possibly a Republican controlled Senate will do in response to some of this, these more um, egregious displays of government power, like the J6 parade of, you know, from the Democrats that they had their primetime live J6 show. And then like the, you know, the Peter Navarro cuffing him, um, Perry's phone, and then the Mar-a-Lago raid. Like what sorts of things do you think the House will do? And what do you think they should do? And I know Julie has ideas about this too. So pipe in. My understanding is that there are already, you know, uh, responsible um, Republican uh, House members and candidates who are talking about all sorts of investigations. They're collecting in, they're collecting evidence. They're hiring investigators. So I think that's very good. I, I think in practical terms, I think the most important thing is to one make infer- no one is to deter, right? To play a deterrence role to stop whatever they can, and number two um, is to make public whatever information they can. Number two is going to be a lot harder and the, there's not going to be any, they can make as many criminal referrals as they want. 
But, you know, even with Donald, uh, Donald Trump's Justice Department, when, uh, you know, when 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 Charles Grassley made a criminal referral about Christopher Steele or when, you know, when Devin Nunes and his committee were making criminal referrals about Russiagate. I mean, these were, you know, and this was Trump's Justice Department. So the idea that, you know, that uh, Jim Jordan at Judiciary is going to make criminal referrals. Well, you know, God bless him. But uh, uh, Lisa Monaco is 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 not going to act on them. Right. So uh, but again, the most important thing is to block whatever they block, everything, <laughs> block, everything. Um, anyone who's not playing should get banished from the herd. Right. Uh, I mean, any any Republican representative who's not playing along, who wants to play up for the viewers of CNN or the readers of The Washington Post and wants to be uh, bipartisan and come to Washington to get things done, they should be banished from the herd. And, and and punished in in, in whatever uh, in, in whatever ways the you know the Republican conference can figure out and then again just make as much information possible whatever documents they can get um, make them all public get them all get them all declassified leak them whatever possible we're we're living in a different situation right now so again the idea of like leaking classified documents from the January 6th committee that people are going to be worried about leaking that garbage no you know they should find different ways to get out get out important information to the american public so those are the two main things i think but i'm much more interested in hearing what, what you know what julie's thinking about this yeah, Julie, what are you hoping and dreaming for with a Republican Congress and possibly a Republican <laughs> Senate? Your hopes well, and dreams. My hopes and dreams. So first would be to cut off every penny of federal funding to the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. That mm-hmm. is the festering sore, not just with the Trump uh, prosecution, but January 6th, et cetera. So Matthew Graves' operation needs to be totally shut down. Um, they should not waste their time trying to impeach Merrick Garland. He's not the issue. Mm. He's the figurehead. Lisa Monaco and her right. toadies are are the poison. They're the poison pill there. So what do they do with her? I don't know. Keep Cut as much funding to DOJ as you can. Abolish the FBI. Kyle Scheidler has an excellent piece on it's American great greatness. Great piece. He oh, finally, is, somebody what lays out. What does he say? He, he lays out how the FBI can be disassembled, what parts of it need to go away, what parts of it can be retained but to other federal agencies, and what powers can go to state and local law enforcement. It's actually the beginning of a very good roadmap, and so that's where they should start. They, But to your point, Lee, they need public hearings. Do nothing but have a hearing, public hearing, not just in D.C., go across the country. Talk to the people I've talked to about what this FBI has done to them. Pre-dawn raids with battering rams, waking up their entire family, terrorizing children, pointing rifles at elderly women standing there in their nightgown in the snow, raiding their homes, refusing to show a warrant, hauling them off without even knowing what the charges were. I mean, I've talked to defendants who are like, I didn't even know this had to do with January 6th until 12 hours later when I got to the police station. Um, the detention, you know, the, how they've interrogated certain people, even those who have asked for uh, lawyers to be present, release all the video inside and outside the U.S. Capitol. Start there. That yeah. should be aside from all this. Get that video. Leak it. It's under protective orders by the same DOJ. Screw you. We are releasing it. Any documents they have about FBI informants. These guys know what happened on January 6th. These Republicans know what happened. They are covering this up as much as anyone else's because they don't want to come face to face with the truth and the public know it because then they actually will have to act. That's and the same thing. I had this conversation this morning with someone I don't remember who about the 2020 election. (laughs) They don't want to confront how depraved this corruption is. It, because they'll have to do something, but they can start. That's true with their on, on so many things. I right. think. I, I mean, think that's that's, that's right. their motive. That's their business model. Is basically ignoring the really tough, difficult decisions, either because they don't want to go on the record taking a vote on it, or it's just too, or their staffers tell them it's too toxic 
too risky. Lay low. Don't say anything. Well, there's a big problem here for Republicans on this stuff. And actually, look, there's lots of ways we can look at the upside from the uh, Mar-a-Lago raid, which is, you know, we've still heard people, we've heard friends and colleagues say, you know, you know, the FBI is still basically a good organization and the rank and file are great. And it's just that that seventh floor, a bunch of rotten guys. I think that people right now, I would imagine the majority opinion is that, yeah, this is no, this is cannot be remedied. The FBI needs to go away in any way. And Lee, possible. that's why I think they need to do hearings across the country and have yeah. these people talk about who did what out of the Cincinnati. I mean, I just say Cincinnati because they alleged there was a shooter today. You know, yeah. what happened in the field office out of Phoenix? What happened out of the field office in southern Texas? What the agents in those field offices did to American citizens. That's great. I, I love that idea. That's a great because idea. Because the rot is festers from top to bottom. I mean, I'm covering the Whitmer kidnapping trial. The agents who were in charge. Fed napping. Fed napping. Liz, Liz yeah. I always give you credit whenever I can. Yeah, um, Fed <laughs> One of the lead investigators was actually fired by the FBI, which is impossible because he assaulted his wife in a drunken rage after a swingers party last summer. The other two top supervisory agents responsible for the main informant both were taken off the government's case. One for running a side gig, moonlighting, doing a security company, and the other one because he's under investigation for perjury in a separate trial. The informants that they have, that they've hired, that we've paid for, total lowlifes. I mean, this is not just, to your point, a seventh floor issue at the J. Edgar Hoover building. This is systemic, systemically rotten, not salvageable, and that's why it has to be completely demolished. Yes, absolutely. The public has such a, a positive image of our our federal law enforcement agencies. I was, well, I don't know if I told Julie this, but I, I, I started re-watching The X-Files, which is one of my favorite shows. And, you know, obviously Mulder and Scully are FBI agents. And that's a very, that was a very popular show. You know, people, and there's so many movies about the crime fighters. And there's such a popular um, support, you know, and respect for law enforcement. I think it's really hard for, for people, at least initially, at least when Trump's, the whole Russia collusion hoax started, so many people couldn't believe it. You know, but now I, I don't know. I think we're getting to a, a different place where people are really, you, you know, questioning what is going on, especially I think where J6 defendants are concerned. They, many people know someone who has been a victim. In other words, it's not necessarily them. I mean, there's 850 of them and there's, you know, whatever, three million people in this, or whatever, three billion people. I don't know how many people are in the country, more than 850. Um, so. You know that people read the news, people maybe know a family, and it's very scary. And then this on the heels of this announcement that we're going to be getting 87,000 more IRS agents and a job ad saying that IRS agents will be carrying firearms and they have to be prepared to what, like shoot to kill. Um, no, good. <laughs> so, oh, oh, good. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I want to. Uh, this is a I think this is a funny issue. This is what I mean. This comes back to what I mean about have these have the grand plans of these people they don't always work i I mean look it's an outrageous number eighty-seven thousand. and then you look wait they're going to arm these guys well look why have people done it why have activists joined the irs before right because because it's because it's what a certain type of activist likes doing i can just sit behind a desk all day and screw my enemies i can sit behind a desk all day and get on the computer and see what my ex is up to now and see if i can destroy her life and no one will ever know it's me. I'm just sitting behind a desk at a computer. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. I control the world from my desk. But now they're telling me I have to put on a gun and go outside? Are you mad? Are you mad? Under no circumstances am I going to leave my desk. It's ridiculous. 87,000 people? How are they going to find 87,000 people to give guns to? And are, are, are they going to start naming Antifa members as part of the IRS? Do you see what I'm saying? 87,000 yeah. people. Your job today is you're going into uh, you're going into this uh, multifamily house in Arkansas and you're going to tell him you're repossessing his 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 tractor. I am. Yeah, that's why we gave you a gun. 
Now go in there and do it. I don't think I like this job anymore. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I saw this and like first it's hysterical how they're selling it. What that idiot Ben Cardin is like, it's just going to be about, you know, you'll get your phone calls answered when you're calling there. So I'm like, so that it's a call center. That That's what it is. They're, they're building a call center. This is nonsense. But again, the grand plans. Here we are. We're starting an auxiliary FBI ATF DEA with 87,000 people that we're going to arm. The FBI is what, 13,000 people? I mean. Yeah, it's much bigger than the FBI. These are hugely, hugely ambitious plans and very impressive. But let's look at them in reality, right? Who are they going to get to fill those positions? When they, when they, you can get 87,000 people to sit behind a desk. You can't get 87,000 people to carry a gun and to walk in people's houses and say, now we're going to take your money. Not in this country. (laughs) Well, I think you, you do have a point. It is, um, it's a joke. It's a joke. It is hard to walk into their house and tell them you're repossessing their house. Do it. That's why you have a gun, (laughs) sir. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's it's nonsense. Well, one interesting feature of the bill is that this is phased in. So they may start on this path, but Look, they might here, get their funding here's the cut off. Thing, not just about the IRS. What was it last week when Grassley had that when Grassley sent that letter to Ray? Um, Grassley sent the letter to Ray saying, I have it from whistleblowers. That you miss that you did this and that with Hunter Biden's laptop. The important part about this was the fact it's not the fact that, the, you know, there probably are good guys at the FBI. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't care. Right. The important part of that letter is that there are whistleblowers there, which means that the regime that is counting on this organization of only 13,000 people, 13,000 people counting on this organization to be its Praetorian Guard. They already have cracks. There are people looking over their shoulders. And when you're dealing with security regimes, this is what you want. You want them to be suspicious. You want them to fight. You want them to be anxious. You want them to not know when someone's going to sell them out and who's going to and to whom they'll be sold out. And so the idea of 87,000 IRS people with guns, I'm like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. How long will it take before they start shooting at each other? 87,000. This is marvelous. Please, please. How about why don't we do this? Why don't we just give guns? I I got a much better idea. Give guns to every recent graduate of Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Northwestern and UCAL Berkeley. And how's that? And let's put them all in a big building in Washington, D.C. Let's see how that works. And by the way, let's stick them in different offices and let's make them compete for budgets. How's that? Well, I, I don't know. What, 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 are, what are the are, are, are the L's and the G's fighting yet? What about the B's and the T's? Oh, what, what about the people of color and what people of color? Are the Browns fighting the blacks? What's happening? No, no, no. We want more sectarianism on that side. We want them to make their own lives more and more dangerous. It's it's it, again, this is what I'm saying. These people. This is what they say they want, and they have no idea what the end looks like, except we're going to put them all in camps. That's how it ends. They're all going to be in camps. But you know what? It's not how it ends. Not how it ends. It ends with these people going after each other's throats. And anything we can do to encourage that is an enormous win. That letter from Grassley last week, that's evidence of a victory. There are cracks. In that institution, how do we provoke those cracks more? That's the answer. Right, but, but what do those cracks bring, right? So, yes, I know there are whistleblowers talking to Grassley. I know that Grassley's had whistleblowers all across the government over the years. He writes a letter and then nothing happens. They, you know, you, right, I'm sure you right, saw, not, Julie right, saw, not, like, I, Ray came last week testified before Congress, had to tap out because he needed to take the luxury jet that federal government owns and is paid for by the tax dollars to take a vacation in the Adirondacks. 
We're in a different. And we're in a he, different. We're in a different place now, right? And this is one of the things that we all have been talking about for six years. But I've nonetheless noticed that every that you know when I get, when I get whenever I speak and I try to tell people because this the standard conservative explanation of what's happened over the last six years is regarding the media. It's like they're so biased. They're so lazy. I can't believe that they they pushed all these lies about Donald Trump and Russia and we're waiting for an apology. Oh, finally, uh, Devin Nunes is validated. Now it's time for now it's time for Maggie Haberman to hand back her Pulitzer Prize. Isn't it like you don't understand. Right. We don't understand. The press is the public face of the intelligence apparatus. That's what it is. And that's what Monday showed. It's a security regime. Right. That relies on intelligence services. That's where we are, unfortunately. But once you realize that's where we are, then you have to learn how these apparatuses work and you have to learn what fears them or or what, what makes them fearful. And it's not a letter from Charles Grassley. What makes them fearful is that there are people inside their institutions who are not on side. That's what makes them scared. What do we do? Then they have to turn inside and they have to go after each other. That's what we want. We want all of these people spending time going after each other. So that letter from the FBI whistleblowers, it's a win, right? Because it's not going to amount to an investigation of Hunter Biden's laptop. And I've been talking about this now for, for a year and a half, and I hope that people after seeing the raid on Monday, they will finally dispel themselves of this nonsense that there's a genuine investigation of Hunter Biden. There's never been one, right? There has never been an investigation of Hunter Biden. It's strictly performative, right? That's not the win. The win is not getting an investigation of Hunter Biden. The win is regime people turning on each other. This is what, when the United States had a competent foreign policy, this is what we used to do with adversarial regimes. We used to try to turn people against each other inside the regimes. And even if we couldn't, we made it look like we were. Oh, looks like they have a rat over there. So that's our role right now. We make regime apparatuses nervous. If they can't, if, if they're not tearing themselves up, we find different ways to help themselves tear each other up. This right now is this right now is part of our fight. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like it's it, it's not good. They have left our constitutional order in ruins. It's a tragedy. But that's where we are right now. I think it makes a lot of sense because. It only takes a few to get started. And now we see this kind of drip, drip. There was another one <clears throat> whistleblower who came forward about Jill Sanborn. I mean, she's no schlub. She is very powerful. She was head of counterterrorism. Um, and I, she's also in counterterrorism now. Um, chief and saying that she's the one who's directing people to bolster the figures, inflate the data about domestic terrorists. So I think to your point, Lee, the more whistleblowers that they get, and of course, Liz has a very valid point, what do you do with them? But it signals that they're the cracking inside, but also that there are people in the bureau who think that there's a chance that the whole thing could blow up. And they sort of want to be on the forefront of making that happen. Maybe they think the FBI will stay intact and be retooled, which can't be. But it it's, you know, a vote uh, lack of it's a vote of lack of confidence right. in leadership by rank and file, just like you would do in a, you know, a union vote for for a police chief. So I do think that it, it's um, even if the public isn't paying that much attention and the and Republicans don't really know what to do with it, mm-hmm. for sure, FBI leadership is paying attention to it. This this will not come from Republican leadership. This yeah. will come from the American public because, look, as people in Washington, we have to give them at least this much. They're very sensitive to shifts in power. And what happened on Monday going after uh, going after the leader of the opposition, this galvanized support. And that's very important. And so people inside Washington are going to be very attentive to how power shifts. And the people who think 
that the 13,000 members of the FBI will uh, uh, will always be on their side and will always protect them. This is what we were talking a little bit before about how some people have um, uh, expressed unease about this because they're very attentive to what shifts of power look like. And you don't want to be riding the wrong horse at the wrong time. Right. And so this is a Julie, I think this is one of that's how I understand part of what you're saying about the about what's going on with the whistleblowers at the FBI. I think that people have a very clear sense of how things are going wrong, who looks like they're in trouble um, and 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 what might happen. And you don't want to be on the losing side. Again, it's terrible to talk about our country like this, but we didn't do it. (laughs) We didn't turn our country into a third world regime. No, we didn't. And we are the Gen Xers who are here to save it because that's been our mission. That's a mission Gen X. That's a great from God. Look, a mission from God, just like Ghostbusters. I'm I'm gonna (laughs) that wasn't Ghostbusters. You guys say that you guys say, and I appreciate it, that I always speak too optimistic that I'm always a little optimistic and you wanna, you know, sometimes you wanna punch me. Um or a lot. Um so you know, I'm working on this book on U.S. U.S. relations with China, you know, starting with Henry Kissinger. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, there, I mean, it's it's very sick what our what our ruling establishment has done. It's very very sick, um, very twisted. It, it, the way they've hurt different Chinese people, whether it's Falun Gong, whether it's the Uyghurs, whether it's student protesters at Tiananmen Square. I mean, it's, and it's left and right. I mean, it's all of them. It's George H.W. Bush and his son, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Of course, you know, Trump brought attention to this. And um, one of the most profound lessons that I've drawn from this is that a lot of us say, um, well, I I don't say this. I don't know if you guys do. But a lot of us say, well, you know, they're going after us now. But regimes, they finally wind up eating everyone and they'll go after the left, too. And you know what? That's not true. Um, if you look at what communist China looks like right now, it's because of the United States, we've totally helped legitimize it in the world's eyes. Right. And the, the horrors that this regime has committed, the, 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 I, I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing. M- millions. I mean, from, from Mao to the present day, millions. And, and, and they keep the the body count keeps rising. You know what? They're presented to the world, whether it's the World Trade Organization or the World Economic Forum, as just the most wonderful, interesting people. And they're animals. And and the people uh, against whom we are struggling here are animals. And the idea that the rest of the world will someday say, oh, my God, they're animals. The people who are behind Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Barack Obama himself, these are animals. These are terrible people. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It is. It is. <clears throat> it is no console. There is no consolation. The idea that we are in the right, right, and that someday history right. will learn that correctly. We don't know if it will. The only thing that matters is winning, right? We have to win. We absolutely have to win and we can't count on other people to do it for us. And we can't count on tens of millions of uh, of regime supporters to jump to our side once they see, oh, wow, that's really bad. I sure wouldn't want the FBI uh, going into Barack Obama's house. I sure wouldn't. That's not going to happen. It's us. Right. There's a lot of us, but it's us. It's not going to. We have allies around the world. There are no governments that are allied that are allied with the pro-America faction of American society. There's lots of people, no governments. It's just us. We should talk sometime about who our allies are as we look around the world. We saw more of them with the COVID lockdowns. We saw people standing up for their rights, and many of them were, you know, were unceremoniously put down. We look in. Uh, we look at China, and we see allies there. It's time for us to look around the world and see who our allies are and what this struggle truly looks like. Because again, if we're counting on swinging a whole bunch of Democrats our way, it's not going to happen. These people will lead comfortable lives as slaves. 
they'll make money, they'll have nice clothes, a nice home, and they'll they'll, they'll enjoy eating bugs too. So <laughs> we're we're not doing it for them. Our fight is for ourselves, our communities, our country, our families, their future. That's who it's for. So that's what I, I'm not trying to. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not despairing, and I'm not trying to make anyone else despair. I'm just trying to um, express how important our our ongoing struggle is. I mean, Americans have always been in struggles for liberty. This is a very serious time, and um, the people that were, you know, that w- uh, against whom we are struggling are very dangerous and very reckless and very violent. Well, on that note, um, that's why we love having you on Lee. No one just, no one says, no one really says it better than you do. It's, I mean, Um, it's, um, it's, it's an important time in our, in our country's history. Yeah. I totally agree. I agree. And I think we, you know, when people are like, oh, January 6th, how do you not, but, you know, how do you do it? And how do you not get upset and angry? I'm like, I feel honored to be doing it. I really do. Because I feel like it's an honor to be telling these people's stories. And it's an honor to be in this fight to the level that I am or all that we're all in it together. Um, and the bonds that we've created. And, you know, we see very clearly what's right in front of us. And so I do think this is, you know, sometimes you kind of pinch yourself and go, is this really happening? Like, is this really happening in America right now? Like, how did I go from, you know, teaching cooking classes to like this? Like, how, (laughs) you know, I think we all do that. Like, is this really happening? But yes, it's it's really happening. And I think acknowledging that is a big part of it. And then just soldiering on, finding the right allies and just being fearless to to the extent, you know, as, as long as you can. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, the last thing I want to do is 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 uh, invoke despair. Instead, I, and instead, I say that, like I said, we are, <clears throat> we have friends, we have communities, we have our country, and, and we have the example of American champions from the time when this country was first settled down to the present. We have leaders we have people who are uh, who are stepping up all the time we have people who continue to do their important jobs of leadership we rightly complain about what's happening in public schools and private schools even but there are great teachers out there people who inspire kids there are uh, there are coaches who inspire kids and who do the right thing in their community so there are leaders all over and and the point is now for all of us to come together because they're trying to push us against each other they're trying to it's a as as i say again and again it's a campaign of desecration and demoralization and it's a it's the difference between knowing the stakes and letting yourself become demoralized the stakes should remind all of us what a meaningful time this is, not to moralize us, but to keep going forward because it's really important. And what else is there right now? Well, I mean, like, we're, we're not going to give this up. Like, I don't even know what that would look like, frankly. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you're right. No, you're right. Uh, all, all this, uh, you know, mandatory uh, mandatory vaccines and, and you lose your job and you lose your you, you lose your living and you can't feed your family if, they, if you don't do this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you get to come in and you get to tell my kid what gender they are. And, th- and then you get this. You sterilize them and I don't have a say. Yeah, that no, that's that makes sense. I get it. I get what you're saying. Now that since you put it like that, now I understand what you're saying. Oh, yeah, you're just going to arrest the just going to arrest the leader of the opposition. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I, I get it. You, you just needed to spend a minute or so explaining it to me. But you're right. I was wrong. You're right. We're, we're going to do that. Like, how's that going to happen? So what? What? So what's the choice? I mean, you know. Um. Well, uh, Merrick Garland just gave his statement after being 40 minutes late, ah, and he confirmed okay. that he personally approved the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Um, apparently that's all that he said. And then he got very indignant about these alleged threats against law enforcement 
and the DOJ, he won't tolerate tolerate it, the fine men and women, blah, 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 and then walked off and did not take any questions. What, what, what were the threats against law enforcement? The manufactured ones by the feds where they post things on weird Internet yeah. sites like the Donald's, which was a fed trap that um, – posted things and then had other people post things and then that was used as evidence in criminal indictments against january sixers so same sort of thing um let's see dan jones remember him oh, yeah. yeah yeah and liz so there he had a movie a, about him right wasn't there a movie about him is that a different <laughs> jones maybe different jones there's something we'll talk let's we'll talk about that some other time but there's something deeply fake about that story i'd love to get to the bottom of well, so Dan Jones is the one that's um, circulating the propaganda for this story. He runs some new non-for-profit, some new, you know, heavily funded by the left organization where he has collected online posts at the Donald.win or Donald Win, 4chan, Gab, you know, all the usual suspects mm-hmm. of these overheated posts, people saying they want to kill FBI agents. Of course, there's no names attached to them because we wouldn't want to put the names of, you know, federal assets on the posts. So he's the one that started all of this. I've seen nothing like that on Twitter directed at directly at agents or any law enforcement officials specifically. But they're, of course, trying to conflate any criticism of the FBI or Christopher Raid or this raid or Christopher Ray or this raid with threats against law enforcement. So right. that well, was see, the um, problem with that is that that is not applied commensurately. So we can all go to places on the Internet. In fact, some we can actually go to Twitter and find some pretty vile threats against public figures that Merrick Garland and the DOJ didn't take very seriously. They didn't care that somebody showed up to kill um Justice Kavanaugh. They didn't right. care that people were at, outside the houses of Supreme Court justices um, and people on Twitter and more mainstream than whatever Donald, the Donald place is, that are openly saying it, saying terrible things and fomenting, agitating for violence and dehumanizing uh, the left's political opposition, which of course leads to violence. And the DOJ doesn't care about that. So it's just really gross to hear that there's one standard applied to no, no, federal no, agent no no no, it's no 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 it's great okay keep telling me how scared you are i want to hear it i want to hear the attorney general say how worried he is because even if it's all nonsense i want everyone at doj and the fbi to hear how worried the attorney general is that's what i want that's perfect. I, 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 I don't know how much that would have cost, right? If I could buy that, I don't know how much it would have cost, but instead he provided it for free. That's a good how, point. How much would it so you cost? You think this is because he's worried. You think that he did this because he's worried. Well, it's, it's obviously some degree of damage control since I don't think that they expected people to be as outraged as they were. So maybe any, you're right. Any statements like that, that that events fear whether it's false whether it's totally contrived or it's real is good the people who are hunting us the people who are hunting americans that they say they're now scared that they're on the defensive i don't i don't care if, if merrick garland is making it up i want other people to hear it i think it's great it's fantastic actually i love that analysis. I love that point of view because I think of all these federal prosecutors and their cruelty and their soullessness and their pleasure in inflicting pain on these January Sixers and thinking for a minute that they might be a little bit scared that they have gone too far. It's fine with me. We have to under we have to understand Monday marked something. I mean, look, the three of us have been talking about this for a while, but for a lot of other Americans, it marked something profound that they haven't really, you know, even if they knew about Russia Gate and said, ah, what hooey, it's nonsense. Trump's not a Russian spy. He's the he's the star of Celebrity Apprentice, right? <laughs> even if they even if they, you know, knew the story, they're like, you know. But we've been following it, but what it marked for a lot of other men, it's like, holy cow, what kind of society are we living in now? So that's what it marks. It marks like 
we're dealing with a regime, we're dealing with a security regime, and so you have to understand how security regimes think, right? Because there's only one thing that matters to a security regime, and that's security, right? They must never show fear, they must never show weakness, and everything must always be controlled. Whenever it's out of their control, it shows weakness. It's it, it, it's it, it's third world mentality because it's not just third world mentality. It's how bullies operate. It's how totalitarians operate. And when totalitarians and bullies do not have everything under control and when instead they give evidence of concern, whether it's real or not, that's good. That's a victory for the people that they're hunting. I'll go with that. I agree. I'll take it. Well, it's been more than an hour, and we try and keep it for an hour because our audience probably has short attention spans. Hey, go, tweet at us if you want us to do more than an hour. We'll be interested to hear, no, do hear that. We can barely do an hour, to be honest. I've done four hours of radio already. Okay, I know. You're so, crazy. Today. You're on fumes. And tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, yeah. by the time this – I would I – would, I would promote what I'm doing tomorrow, but by the time I get this edited, it'll already be over. So I'm, I'm not, but, <laughs> but Lee, if you want to tune in WMAL and co-hosting with Larry O'Connor again, so oh, morning show. That's yeah. Fantastic. Why don't you yeah, guys, I did ever, it today too. you guys ever bring me on anymore? What's, why is Larry O'Connor mad at me? I don't know. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to get in his face. Cause that's garbage. Yeah, he's fickle. He hasn't had me on either. Let's not I, be I, his friend anymore, Lee. Yeah. If Let's he doesn't, Twitter. Know, I will say this on the show, Larry promoted happy hour with Julie and Liz like a hundred yeah. times. So there's that. And <laughs> also I love Julie's well, I excellent, love excellent work. So I, well, it's a lot of this. fun. I would hate to think that since I moved out of the Washington DC area, that, that a dear friend and American champion, Larry O'Connor has turned into a globalist cuck. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell him that. I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna clip that sound bite. I'm gonna send it to him. I'm gonna be like, you better up your game, dude. But I, I mean, I hope that's not. You what's better happening. up your game. I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little concerned, frankly. I mean, I haven't heard from the guy. You know, I'm not saying. I'm not saying he is one. I'm just saying I haven't heard from him in a while, and I'm. I, whatever. I'm a little concerned. Tell him to. Tell him. To, don't check in, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, but this morning when I went into the studio, he was wearing an I Heart the Feds pin, so I don't know. It's quite a transformation. No. All right. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. Our guest this hour has been our very favorite Lee Smith. Lee, where can people find you and your work and your movie and you uh, your podcast? It's not my movie. It's that great movie Amanda Milius made. Amanda Milius movie. Please watch that, um, uh, uh, listeners. And, um, yeah, I I wrote a book called Plot Against the President. The Permanent Coup explains a lot of stuff that's going on now. And um, Truth Social, at Lee Smith on Truth Social. How's that? Perfect. All right, gang. We will. Julie, are we going to be here next week? We never know. It's always an open-ended question. I mean, at how things are accelerating, I give it a solid five. (laughs) Fifty-five out of ten. So, you know, but no, I think we'll be here next week. Anyway, thank you for spending an hour with us. God bless bless you two guys, and and God bless all your cool listeners. And uh, uh, stay, stay strong. You all, if you're listening to Liz and Julie, then you guys are fighting and and we need you all to keep fighting and uh, we're all fighting. Thanks. All right, guys, have a great week and we'll see you eventually. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.